Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think you have to just go with what works for you. And what works for me is going with the flow, like yeah. actually. So that's how I became a comedian because I went with the flow. That's how I started yeah. doing radio. So for me, I just prioritise. I have a lot of things to do in all my different veins of things that I yeah. do. And I just prioritise. Hello and welcome to another episode of Balancing Acts. My guest this week is Samantha Baines, an award-winning comedian, actress, poet, author, host. She is a woman of many talents. Her acting credits include The Crown, Silent Witness and Call the Midwife. And she's currently the host of Magic Mike Live in the West End, which is uh, something we talk about. She's also a children's author with a soon-to-be-published book, which has recently been announced. Sam and I chat about her issues with anxiety and what she does to get over it. We talk about her dad passing away and how the grief she felt uh, affected her as a comedian. The pressures of social media and how she tries to be as transparent and genuine as possible on there, which isn't easy. And this idea of not necessarily having a concrete plan and going with the flow, which was really interesting to me as someone who's always kind of strategic, I guess. Perfect. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. It's always fascinating to hear different creators' approaches to their work and their ways of finding balance. Uh, whereas I'm someone who feels guilty if they don't get up early in the morning, Sam says she wakes up later and she's fine with that because she goes to bed later. So we all have our routines and I guess it's whatever works for you. I also like Sam's hustle. Sam is someone who makes things happen, such as reaching out to brands whose ethos she likes and them sending her lovely clothes and outfits that she'll wear, such as her recent foray on the red carpet to the Olivier Awards. Look at her, eh? So lots to take from this episode. Over to Sam. When did we first meet? Was it 2014? That was so specific. I know. Do you know why I know? Was, uh, no, it would have been more specific if I said the month, which, which was about June. Um... Because 
I know it because it was the Loco Filmmakers oh, Weekend. that where we met? That's where we met, yeah. The uh, London Comedy Film Festival Workshop. Kickstart yes. your comedy career. And were our careers kickstarted? Maybe. Mine definitely wasn't. I um, <laughs> still yet to do my first gig. What? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> had you been in comedy? Been pretending. Had you been in comedy for a while up to that point? Like, how long have you been in stand-up now? 2014. So I started acting ten years ago. Okay. So and I started stand-up, I think, five years ago. Okay. So around 2014, I was. I think I was already doing stand-up though then. Did you start stand-up because you were just sort of like, I'm funny, I want to get on stage and make people laugh, or was it more of like, I want to take control of my career? Well, I was an actor to begin with, and I always found that I started doing all the comedy roles, and then I auditioned to be in a sketch group called Vinegar Knickers, which I was in for two years, and we rebranded as Vinegar, Corridor of the Knickers, because old women in Edinburgh, I used to say, Vinegar Knickers, and give them a flyer, and they would scrunch up their faces and hand me back the flyer just based on the names and then we changed to vinegar so we did that for two years and that was really fun but you have to split the applause three ways and the money so no it was it was the money you can do but the applause no way (laughs) absolutely not um no it was a good introduction to the world of comedy and writing my own comedy which Mm. i'd never really done before and then we sort of all drifted off in different ways one of the girls moved to la and started Mm. acting out there another one of the girls worked in tv production and that started taking off and so around that time we all sort of started doing different things and i'd thought about doing stand-up for a while and i had some comedian friends who said i should give it a go and so then i thought well i might as well try and, and the rest today. is history. And here you are today. Yeah. And in I was my just... apartment being interviewed on this podcast. <gasps> You've reached the pinnacle, Sam. <laughs> I have. Yeah. I did a comedy course, actually, to start my comedy career. Chris Head. No, I did a Laughing Horse weekend comedy course. Oh, okay. Who took that? I can't remember, you know. A comedian. I did one as well. I did uh, the Logan Murray one. Oh. Stand up and deliver. Yeah, yeah. I just did a weekend one, and the only reason I picked that one was because it was short, and at the end you did your first kick, and I right. wanted to just force myself to do it. And also, at the time, I knew, because I'd been gigging with my sketch group, I knew a lot of people in comedy, and I didn't want to try... Can I swear on this podcast? Of that? course, yeah. Sure. I didn't want to try and do comedy and be shit in front of people that I knew on the circuit yeah. who knew me in, in Vinegar, and we were, you know quite good because we practiced yeah so um i was sort of really scared to use my current comedy contacts to get my first gig because i wanted to check i wasn't like super super shit yeah and i thought if i do this gig and then i do it with loads of new comedians who are also doing their first gig no one will know about it and then i can see if i'm awful or not and obviously when you start you're never amazing but um you can kind of get an idea of whether you like it or whatever so did you smash it? Well, yeah, because I feel like you always smash your first gig. It's just the adrenaline yeah. through it. And also just if anyone laughs, you're like, I smashed it <laughs> because that's what you're aiming for. Did you invite family and friends? No. No. Just the other course members. Yeah, you're wise. I did not do the same. Uh, I had family and friends and uh, a former girlfriend there who looked on in horror. 
Uh, was she your girlfriend at the time, or did you invite an ex-girlfriend? <laughs> she was a girlfriend at the okay. time. A soon-to-be ex-girlfriend. Imagine your first comedy gig just to all your exes yeah. throughout time. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's definitely something for the future. Actually, I think they may be an Edinburgh show in that. <laughs> it would be horrible. Well, it depends, I guess, if you're friends with all your exes. And if they still find you funny. I've got brunch tomorrow with uh, one of my first exes. Oh, so uh, you are friends with all your exes? No, we haven't seen each other in about like three, four years. And it, she got married last year and one of her best friends asked me to record a video sort of doing a memory, you know, recording a memory. And for her wedding? For the Hindu. Okay. For the Hindu. And it was a memory about her dad walking in on us having sex. <laughs> And I did it in this character, like, oh, I remember the good old days. And as you're doing it, you're thinking, is this a good idea? And then I, I watched it back. I was like, no, actually, this is quite funny. I think it's funny. Um, so I sent it off to her. And obviously, the best friend can then make that decision whether yeah, she thinks it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And she said, this is great. But I never heard anything after that from my ex. I think it's fine for a hen do. I'd be worried if they were playing these videos at her wedding. Yes. Yeah. No, I, not as far as I know. I'll find out tomorrow, though. <laughs> I feel very special if it was played at the Is wedding. Is she still with her husband? Or do you think she saw that video and she was like, oh my God, I'm making the wrong decision. Look at how good his character Well, she could still be with her husband is. and think that. Um, she could. I'll find that tomorrow and okay. I'll let you know. I know I think she's very happy, um, you know, not being with someone unstable comedian. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a comedian back then. This is years ago. I mean, we're yeah, we're unstable, but we're really fun with it. Some comedians you come across on the circuit and you just think, oh, you've just got it together. You're just very level-headed. And, and that's what you thought about me, right? Correct, yeah. <laughs> but don't you think there are some who just like, oh, there's, there's no chinks in your personality armour? No, you, I sometimes... think we all have. We're all a little bit. Jerry Seinfeld, don't know him, but he comes across as quite zen, don't you think? He's been doing transcendental meditation for years. And you just see him in his interview and he's just like, yeah. I mean, obviously he's one of the richest men in the so that probably makes a <laughs> Maybe difference. Maybe now he's then. Um, no, I think we, everyone's a little bit fucked up, mm. generally. And I think all comedians are, because otherwise you'd have nothing to talk about. Yeah. And I think to do our job, you have to be a little bit fucked up. Yeah, there's got to and be something. It, and you've got to just embrace that bit of you. Yeah, something that compels you to get on the stage and do that. Yeah, to get up every night in front of loads of people and be like, everyone look and listen to me, please. That's what I want you to do right now. And I'm going to tell you all about my life and my observations of the world. I think you have to be a slightly strange human being to do that. Yeah. But in a really fun way. Yeah, in a really quirky way. (laughs) The description on on your dating profile app. Quirky. But fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you... If you found it uh, challenging in the past going on dates with non-comedian type people or people that come from an entirely different world that don't yes. understand it, yeah. Yes. Do they look at you sort of like in awe or kind of like as this... Well, I think generally people who aren't in the industry think that comedians are very brave. Yeah. And, and Good for you. Yeah. Good for you for, for People dreams. always say, you're so brave. I'm like, no, if you rescue people from burning buildings, you're brave. I'm yeah. just like attention. But um, I think for some people, 
you know, it's like all of our skill sets are different. But for some people, the idea of standing on stage in front of lots of people and talking, funny or not, is like the scariest thing ever. Mm. So, you know, for those people, they have lots of questions about, you know, that process. And I think it's funny when you're on a date because you're like, I don't just want to talk about work the whole time. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about like whether you prefer cats or dogs. Yeah. Great date chat. So, yeah, I think it's some people get very excited about it and other people just don't care or don't think of it as a proper job. So it's, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But do you get paid for it? Yeah, what's your real job? Yeah, is, is it's hard, isn't it? It's, it's hard. Well, so that's, it must be hard. <laughs> yeah, that must be hard. I like, look at you, sort of like searchingly. I used to when I was um, just acting and not doing comedy, and people said to me, "What have you been in? Or have you been in anything I will have seen?" Which is the most common question you get as an actor, and just makes you feel awful about your life yes. choices because. You know, when you start out, the majority of actors, you don't get good jobs. You mm. do like lovely jobs, but they're not the, you know, big TV jobs that, you know, because you need to build contacts and your experience and get in the room uh, auditions and that doesn't come straight away. How long did it take you to get to that point where you sort of start to get those nice juicy TV roles and you're like, okay... I've arrived, I'm here. <laughs> well, I still don't feel like I've arrived, but um, I think it took a good few years, like four years, four or five years. Yeah. Which is about the same time I started stand-up, which I think gave me a whole different outlook on things. And I think I've got, I've got more acting work since I started stand-up. Really? And I've thought about that and thought, oh, is that because, you know, I've, I've been you know, getting out there with stand-up and so people, you know, see me around more. But actually, I think it's just because it, when I do my stand-up, I'm me. So I'm I'm obviously the stage version of me, a heightened, happier version of me because yeah. sometimes I'm miserable before I do a gig. But um, but I am me and, and I think exploring yourself and having to talk about your experiences on stage and write material it does really help you like find yourself in a Zen way. And when you're more comfortable with yourself than when you're going into an audition, you're doing your best job of you and not because I still had stand up, I wasn't desperate for an acting job. Yeah. And because I and that felt comes across then. Yeah, absolutely. It? And because I felt I knew myself more and I felt that I was enjoying all the other things I was doing. I think I was more present in auditions and yeah. Um, which maybe had something to do with why I, you know, started getting more work then. You were saying before about prior to going on stage uh, before a gig and you'd feel, I don't know, you'd be a bit shitty, feel a bit shitty or moody or whatever. Mm. Do you still get that? Or, and if not, how did you get over that? How do you get over that sort of process of like, you know, that, that feeling of being in your head before a gig? Yeah. You, how are you now? Well, at the moment, I host Magic Mike Live. So I do that eight shows a week. So so what does that mean? So you, you, you're sort of doing some stand-up before the show or are you not doing any stand-up or are you sort of just sort of like audience interaction? So I'm the only person that really speaks in the whole show. Okay. So, so I'm... Power. Uh, yeah, I'm in charge and I kind of drive the show forward and get the narrative across and then within that I tell jokes so it's kind of a combination of acting in a play and a stand-up gig. Okay. 
Um, Because obviously all stand-up is scripted, but I can't, you know, at a normal gig, if some bits of my material were going better, I'd then riff on that or do material linked to that. So I can't change it up. I have to do the same scripted jokes every night. But it's directed by Channing Tatum. And I worked with him in LA and he let me collaborate with him on the script. So I was, yeah. So I was able to like, have a say on the jokes and work with him to write the jokes in the show. So for me, it is more like my stand-up because it's got my personality in it. But yeah, it, I do have to stay quite scripted every night. But obviously doing it eight times a week, there are days when I'm tired or in a bad mood, you know, for whatever reason, I'm having a bad hair day or, you know, the train was late or just life. I have anxiety as well. Yeah. Um, I take anxiety medication. So sometimes I'm just having like an anxious day, but every day I still have to perform, obviously, no matter what mood I'm in. And what I find weird is that the show always cheers me up. Okay. And and it's the same with, with stand-up, you know. If I'm in a bad mood and then I, I do the show and there's a lovely open audience, I always leave feeling better. Same. And I think it's difficult when you start... But I do like a bit of a warm. I have a bit of a warm up. I just kind of stretch because I have to do a dance in this show. So I stretch a little bit and do a bit of vocal warm up. So I just feel more ready to perform. Right. But then the great thing about live performance is you can just feed off the audience. And with Magic Mike, the audience are always so excited at the beginning of every show. So it's a really nice way to start. No, it's a real mix of people. Yeah. I mean, it's majority women. It's okay. majority 400 women, a show. <laughs> wow. With the odd man dotted around. Um, husbands being dra- dragged along, or is it more... Yeah, husbands, boyfriends. Yeah. Arms folded. Um, I'm not enjoying this. Not enjoying this whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, weirdly, we I do pick out the, uh, the straight men at the beginning. Um, but weirdly, they always say that they're having a nice time by the end. Right. And um, we get some gay couples along and yeah. some, you know, male gay couples and lesbian couples. And, you know, it's very low. There's, you know, everyone's welcome. But I, w- I would say it is a kind of, I guess it seems more like a heterosexual show for women. But, you know, I know lots of lesbian couples that have come and really enjoyed it. And I know lots of gay guys that have come and really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's a real mix in the audience and that's what's great about it. And and I go around in between the numbers and interact with the audience and also sometimes just sit with them and have a chat kind of off mic. And it's it's great because I get to meet loads of cool people. And like, what a luxury to have, to be able to do in front of that, that amount of people. Is it 400 or so a night? Yeah, I can't, it's between 300 and 400. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure on the amount, but yeah. So you're going to always get something from them. It's not like when you do a gig, 10 people in the room. Yeah. And you're just like trying to hammer for something. Just give me something. I mean, it's a strange role because I'm kind of in the way of the men. Yeah, which so is what they come came, to see. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's not a strip show. It's a dance show. So all the guys are professional dancers yeah. at like the top of their game. They do also happen to be very attractive. I think nice. if you came to the show just to stare at abs... You could get that, but you'd have a difficult time 
just staring at apps because there's so much going on. There's like tap dancing and aerial dance and there's a musical number with live music and the guys play instruments. So like there is a lot going on. But yeah, if you've just come for men, my role is quite a surprise to a lot of people. And there is a bit of a surprise in the show, which I won't give away. But so I am kind of in the way of the men. But hopefully, you know, lots of women say I kind of like channel what they all feel okay. during the show. And I'm right. kind of, I view my role as like being there for all the people in the audience. Yeah. And kind of, yeah, voicing what they think. And I'm a funnel for their energy. Funnel. Add that as an endorsement on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> funnel. Um, so you're saying before about you suffering from anxiety, is that something you've always had or is it since you've sort of been performing or acting? Something I've always had. Have you? Yeah. And have you always been on medication for it? No, I, I didn't realise it was a thing. I just thought everyone worried so much that sometimes they got sick. Right. Is that um, what happened? So what, to a point where you get physically sick? Yeah. So when I was younger, like I went on a skiing trip, I remember, into school And I'd never skied before. And I was so scared of skiing for some weird reason. I think because a lot of my anxiety first came from feeling unsafe. So like getting ill on holiday or like breaking bones or, you know, all those sorts. I was always really scared of like, um, yeah, being ill or hurt. So and I knew how dangerous skiing was. So I was I remember being really scared of like breaking a leg skiing. It was the first day of the ski trip and I was so nervous. I got sick in the morning and then I didn't actually go on the slopes because I said I was sick from food or something. But my teacher said to me, you're not sick from food. You know, you're just scared. And that was the first time someone had said you know, you could be so scared that you get sick. Mm. So yeah, my anxiety came out in different ways over the years. There was that. And then I got obsessed with like drinking two litres of water every day because I was really worried about getting dehydrated and being ill. Mm. So I carried around a two litre bottle of water with me every day and I would make sure I drank it all. But like, that's obviously a good health thing to do, but Mm. I would like, was a bit obsessive about it. And then on holiday, I would always be really scared because my my family also used to travel to the Far East, which is obviously amazing. And now I'm like, wow, I had such a privileged upbringing that we used to go on holiday in the Far East. But I would always be so scared that I'd get ill on holiday. You know, that thing where you're like ill away from home and you don't have the home comforts. Um, So I always used to eat like really ridiculous plain food just in case I'd get like avoid meat and right. just eat rice and avoid spicy things. And I used to get so worried about dinner time that I'd feel nauseous before dinner because I'd be worried that I'd eat something that would then make me feel nauseous. Right. So I was making myself feel nauseous in advance. It's like, especially with anxiety, it's such a weird cycle. So but when- then I went to a counsellor. Okay. And also they teach you about, training your mind to go through you know the steps of it of like well no let's actually think about this like if I go to a a restaurant that is you know a well-reviewed restaurant and I pick something on the menu that I want to eat and then when it arrives I it looks cooked and nice and the restaurant has good conditions then 
the chances that I'll get sick are very small. So, you know, but just going through that process in your head can help calm you down. Do you still do that now? Yeah. I mean, I've relaxed about on holiday things. Um, it's more yeah. about just doing random my anxiety podcasts. yeah I got really anxious no I didn't um no my anxiety comes out different ways now I think I think I it used to come out obsessively in certain ways and now, and now I just sometimes have an anxious day so I just feel a bit yeah like jittery or sometimes I don't want to let leave the house like going outside seems like it's too much yeah. like dealing with people and stuff. And so that's why I'm on the medication at the moment. Okay. Is that a daily thing? You take it every yeah. day? Right. So does it have any side effects? Um, not this one. Okay. They, they can, obviously, you have to find the right medication for you. And, you know, hopefully it's not something that is forever me taking the medication. Yeah. But I think sometimes if you're, you know, my dad died two years ago and um, I've split up with my husband and I was going through a lot and I was moving house and all these things at a specific time. And I think, I think I wanted to avoid medication because it seemed like, oh no, that's like a really bad thing. I can't yeah. take medication. Yeah. I should just be able to deal with it. It's just a few like worries. Actually, you know, if you're having a bad time and you can use something like anxiety medication to just help you get through each day at that bad time and then work towards yourself through counselling or, you know, meditation or yoga, you know, whatever you do that makes you feel better. Yeah. And then longer term, you know. But it is, anxiety for me is an ongoing thing. Like, yeah. it'll never go away, but right. it's something that I'm, like, learning to cope with. Do you do meditation or yoga? I do yoga. I mean, I'm not at the moment, because in the show I'm in, I do a, a dance and so for me, it's it's like exercise, but I definitely want to go back to doing yoga. I try and meditate every so often. Okay. Um, well, how, how does that take shape? What sort of meditation do you do? I have an app. Yeah. And I lie in bed. Use the Headspace one. It's called No Calm. Okay. Because yeah. it has nice music in the background. Yeah. Just make you drift <laughs> off. The little things. Yeah. Sometimes I do fall asleep, but that's fine. Mm. See, I have an app and I just go through the app on my phone or sometimes I just listen to just really relaxing music and just try and kind of lie there and just not think about anything okay so then how long will you do that for like 10 minutes yeah well on the app there's timed ones so if you're if you have time restrictions you can do that or otherwise I just sometimes if I'm at home in the day I just put the music on and just see how long I do it for yeah if you know what I mean just keep going but there are other like I find walking quite meditative as well. So sometimes I just, you know, walk places. And swimming's great for me as well, but I've just had tattoos, so I can't go swimming for a while. What's a tattoo? I love tattoos. That's that's the tattoo you've got. I I love tattoos. Yeah, it says, I love tattoos, times 10. Um, No, I've got um, butterflies on my back. Okay. To remind me of the people I've lost. Like really morbid butterflies. Are they? It's like a death butterfly. No, they don't look Black. morbid, but no. they are. Right. De- they're death butterflies. death butterflies. One's for my dad who died and two are for my grands who died within two months of each other. Okay. Um, How old were you when your dad died? He died in 2016. Were you guys close? Yeah, really close. Yeah. yeah. How did he... And he, he was very him? funny. Um, he had a lung disease. Okay. Was that what cancer? No. Oh. Um, pulmonary fibrosis right so that's like heart and lung condition 
And then he also had another lung condition that I can't remember the name of. But um, it basically meant that, you know, he got ill and then he was on oxygen 24 hours a day. Okay. Because his lungs couldn't absorb oxygen properly from the air. So he'd get really breathless. Did it come out of nowhere? Was it quite sudden? Yeah, kind of. Like, he... He's always smoked. Right. I mean, apparently they're not conditions brought on by smoking, yeah. funnily enough, ironically. But right. um, he's always smoked. And so he'd he'd have coughs every now and again from chest infections. And then he used to get breathless sometimes. And, but he'd always say it's, you know, the years of smoking. Um, and then all of a sudden it got yeah quite bad where he, like, couldn't walk upstairs without getting so out of breath. And then he'd need, like, 10 minutes to recover. Yeah. And then that's when he went to the doctor and then they put him on oxygen. To begin with, he could like go out and about with his oxygen tank because he had to be on it 24 hours a day. Um, But then eventually he was housebound with it. And then he moved into a home and then he died. Right. Yeah, he died on my hen do. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so... The butler and the buffer just left. Okay. And then I got a call saying your dad's dead. Did you know that it was going to... No, like... that sudden. He was in the home and, and you know, he he wasn't great, but he was by no means on death's door. Like, he wasn't bed-bound or anything. I'd seen him the week before and we'd mm. had a chat, like... Um, yeah, it was... it was We, we so were what, all hen- super shocked that he was dead. So the Hendu obviously shut down. Where were you? Where was the Hendu? In Bath. Okay. And so you come straight back to London? Yeah, uh, well, we stayed the night because it was, like, really late at night. Right. And then my fiancé drove up overnight and then, yeah, we all left the next day. Yeah. I mean, it's so my dad as well. He'd think that that's hilarious, that he died oh, really? just after the butler and the buff left. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, you always laugh at the worst times in your life. It's kind You've of hilarious yeah. and awful at the same time. Yeah. But, like... You know, like my maid of honour. Thank God my mum and my sister and my aunties were there at my Hindu. So, like, I had all my family around. Like, we were all there together, which was great. But, you know, we just found out and we were, like, in shock and, like, crying. And my maid of honour was like, OK, everyone, take down all the penis paraphernalia from everywhere. <laughs> and then they, all my friends started cooking because they didn't know what to do. So they were like, well, just make them food because that will be useful. And I didn't even know any of those things at the time, obviously, because I was just completely out of it. But, yeah, they told me afterwards, like, they went round and, like, took down all the penis balloons and things. Um, yeah. And was this going on... Because you do, did you do an Edinburgh show in 2016? Was it 2017? So did he you... died on the 5th of November... Okay. Remember the remember the fifth of November because he knows that we're shit at remembering things as a family, so okay. that's useful. In, in 2016, right. yeah. So I did an Edinburgh show in 2017. Okay, where I mention him. It's not a show because the cliche obviously is the dead dad show. Yeah, but um, it wasn't a show about him. It was a show about the lost women of science. Okay, and I actually didn't want to write a show about him because I thought it was too soon. Okay, but through writing this show about women being lost from the history books yeah it just kept cropping up that i'd also lost something whilst i was trying to find these women so you know i did you know just because that was going on in my life right then talk about him in the show did that help the grieving process i think so yeah i mean it is 
it's hard. It was hard because it's so raw still. Yeah, I imagine. Like people have said to me when things have happened, like other comedians who are more experienced than me, have said to me when things happen, like give it time to sink in before you start talking about it on stage. But I think sometimes you need to talk about stuff. Like I remember the first panel I did after my dad died and it was like literally a week after he died, but I didn't want to cancel doing it because I just wanted to do something that was unrelated to death. Yeah. And so I went to do this panel and it was talking about comedy writing and for Mum's Net, I think it was. And I ended up talking about my dad dying in the panel because someone said, is there anything you wouldn't write about? Like death. Yeah. And I was like, well, actually, my dad's just died and I probably will write about that. Because sometimes, I think as a comedian, if that's the way you express yourself or as a writer or it does help you process things. Yeah. Other people will experience things in a different way. Me talking about stuff does help me process it in my head. So, yeah, I started talking about it then. And how are you, like, do you still get waves of grief? Like, yeah, absolutely. It just hits you out of nowhere. Yeah, I tweeted the other day, actually, because I, I did a grief cast, which is an amazing a podcast. Lois. Yeah, Carrie Ann Lloyd's podcast. And that was actually the, I listened to grief cast because someone recommended it to me when my dad died and I listened to the Mac twins episode and I know the Mac twins and their dad died, but when they were much younger and they were talking about that experience and it was amazing to listen to because it was the first time I thought, Oh my God, other people get this like exactly what I'm going through. Cause obviously all the people around you, like my sister, I do have a sister and her dad also died, but they, she had a different relationship to it, obviously than, than I did. And my mum was so sad, but her husband had died. So like everyone has different relationships to them. So it's really interesting to hear a podcast with two women talking about their dad passing away. And, and I just thought it was amazing. Like it was really sad. I, li- I cried the whole way through listening to it, but it was amazing. So I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm not weird. Like yeah. other people have experienced this too and thought the same things I thought. So I, I did that podcast recently with Carrie Ed. I can't remember what you asked me. Um, whether, yeah, you get, you know, oh, you're still impacted, you get waves of grief. Yeah. yeah, so I tweeted the other day because I was reading a book and it was a very, like, happy, light-hearted book. Uh-huh. And then in the book, it mentioned sort of randomly the disease my dad died of. And I just wasn't expecting it at all. And I, like, totally teared up on oh, a train really? reading this book, kind of out of nowhere. And I so I sort of just tweeted, like, oh, my God, you think, you know, you're past it. And, and then out of nowhere, you just... Obviously, you're never past it, but you think you're past that stage of crying randomly on trains. Yeah. And then I just read, like, one sentence, and then I was crying again on a train. And it was amazing because so many people, like, got in touch on Twitter just being like, yeah, I've totally had this, like, even 10 years on or whatever. So I guess guess that is one of the good things about Twitter, that, you you know, you can have that form of communication. Because it's so much about trolling now. And yeah, just like hard. ridiculous, irrelevant arguments just going back and forth where you're trying to change someone's opinion That's and their opinion is never going to be changed. Like you're never going to gain anything out of it. But every now and then you put a tweet out like that and then you have some kind of instant connection with someone over something like that. Well, I think that's the best thing about social media is that you can connect with people all over the world and 
And you would know this because you are a social media expert. Yeah, I am a social media marketer. Yes, you do. I was one of your clients. Penguin in the room, you are. Mm. Yeah, how's it going for you, social media? Terribly. (laughs) I'm I'm rubbish. Don't say that. That's a bad testimonial for my company. No, you did. You said all the right things. It's just I didn't action them. Okay. okay, I I I just I can't get to grips with it. I just. Find it so difficult. At the moment, I feel I just put just like on Instagram these comedy posts on there. I was talking about this to someone else the other day, but I don't really show. I don't make you. I don't really show any other part of my life on Instagram. It's just like the comedy focus. So you're not really getting any kind of insight into me as a person outside of that. But then, but do you want people to have that? No, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, maybe that's part of the reason why you know, not the sole reason, but doing this podcast allows me to have conversations and maybe get across a different side to me that wouldn't otherwise, because especially as character comedy, it's not the same as going on stage and talking about yourself. Yeah. You're still hiding behind a character, although that character has tendencies, you know, that are very sort of related to me or heightened versions of me. He's a much more neurotic and um, egotistical version of me. It's still not me. And so... Yeah, I don't know. With you, do you, you, do you uh, think it expresses bits of you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, bits of me now, but also bits of me sort of like when I was sort of 10 years younger, when I was a real douchebag. <laughs> well, it's good that you can admit that. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So you've kept a bit of the douchebag, but now you just call it a character. Yes. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, If you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. So why did you choose to be a character and not a... I've always found that's what I've naturally done. I've, characters come easy to me, whereas performing as myself does not. And with this character specifically, he's a, a parody of a spoken word artist. And I used to be a garage MC when I was younger. So it's just bringing back that skill set. I never would have thought I would be doing that, you know, rapping on stage now. Uh, and it's fun. I love it. I love doing that. Uh, and I guess that's my that's my USP, my comedy USP. I tried to do character comedy once. And? I didn't like it. What didn't you like about it? Obviously, I'm an actor as well. So I've done live acting in plays and, you know, on screen. I don't know. It, it felt strange for me. I felt like I was lying to the audience. Okay. Because it was one-on-one. Like, I think for me... Obviously, it's not because they know you're a character. They don't think that you're that person. But, like, for me, when I was looking people in the eye, I wanted to be me looking them in the eye and saying things that I care about. And for me, a lot of my stand-up is, like, you know, for so long people have said to me, oh, female comedians only talk about vaginas and periods. So I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about vaginas and periods because apparently that's what I should be doing anyway (laughs) that I took its direction but also like it should be okay to talk about that stuff like male comedians will talk about their penises a lot and that's fine and I don't have one of those so I'm going to talk about my equivalent 
But what I do is, you know, I look up like facts about vaginas that I didn't know before. Like, such as? Well, when you're aroused mm-hmm. and you have a vagina, your vagina expands to allow for insertion a massive penis yeah. <laughs> but it does expand because your vagina is pleated whoa hello a kilt and <laughs> um it expands and in it's a process called tenting wow which is amazing comedy fodder that's amazing i wonder so, who came up with that term i love looking up facts and then writing jokes about them so okay. i love like learning new stuff so i talk about vaginas in periods but in a like i didn't know this about them so you know did you and men in the audience hopefully learn a bit more about vaginas which is no, always no useful. taking in the audience or just people in the audience who don't have vaginas learn a bit more about them and people with vaginas also might learn a bit more about them and i think for me i think we need to know more about each other as people yeah. and humans and not shy away from things like you know you came out of a vagina and your mum had periods before she had you and that is a completely natural normal thing and and so for me i i love being on stage and talking about things that 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 i kind of care about spreading the word about i guess and want to celebrate and i want to celebrate my vagina why not so yeah so for me so when i tried character comedy I just felt like I, I was like, no, I want to I wanna be me and I want to say things that I care about Yeah, in a funny way. I'm starting so to get that. I mean, I, every now and then I'll do it to myself, but um, part of it is out of, you know, being lazy because if I know, you know, you know I've got this act of built It's not lazy. I find it so much harder to write jokes as a character. No, I just mean lazy in terms of I've developed the act, so I know I can just go out and bosh it out, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just grinding out something that I'm not as comfortable with but and the other day I did a gig and then I came home and um and I just started writing whatever is in my head uh, as material as myself but it was just more just it was just verbal diarrhea I just mm. I, I will do it you can easily get into the habit of not pushing yourself I just want to try and push myself you know whether it's stand-up or in character comedy I did a gig the other week and it was just like an open mic thing like if you're not doing something new there what is the point of it what I find hard about character comedy so you know each their own efforts is is writing as a character because I know what I would say yeah I feel like you need to be so in that character to know what they would say I'm always throughout the day and say throughout the day we're like if I hear a piece of dialogue or something like that oh that he would say that yeah or, or yeah it's like oh his mate would say that and so now for this Radio 4 pilot I'm doing for this character yeah congrats a, thank you very much um I'm going to be a, in it, right? Yeah, of course. You know, so that's that's why I got you here. Um, <laughs> there's a woman who's obsessed with vaginas. Um, so Perfect. There you go. She lives in Tentville. Inside a vagina Basically, in Tentville. Yeah, yeah. I nice, like it. warm and cosy. Yeah. Uh, and no sexual heating. Yes. Yes. There's plumbing issues. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So what the fuck? Where was I going with this? I can't remember. Um 
Yeah, whatever. So in terms of this Radio 4 thing, it's just lots of... Um, you have to be in the head of the character. All the time at the moment, especially at the moment. So there's other, if there's other characters, something will happen. Like, for instance, we were in the pub the other day and <laughs> after a gig and there was this guy, he had two pints in his hands and we weren't in his way. He sort of, we were to the side of him and he was like, Mind your backs! Mind your backs! <laughs> really loudly and unnecessarily. And just there was no... And, and then he just walked past and we were just cracking up. And he went in and then we saw him coming back and said, please, 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 I hope he says again, I hope he says again. And he came back and he said the same thing, but this time without the pint glasses, moving back to the bar. Mind your backs, mind your backs. See, you know, obviously just it's like a lorry doing a beep. Like, yeah. everyone, I'm reversing. Look at me. <laughs> yes. So I thought, oh, he could be in the world. He could be in that world. Okay. So back to you. Social media. You yes. are a social media expert, but how does social media affect your mental health? You know, as a performer, do you feel like a sense of pressure having to keep up with the social media Joneses? Well, I think social media does bring all sorts of pressures because so many people on social media are so airbrushed. And Jamelia Jamil talks about this a lot. She's an actress and airbrushing and and putting like the best parts of your life on social media but I think that I've the way I've like cultivated my social media channels is more like me so okay I don't do that in real life like I do my makeup on the train so people can see the before and after but I'm like I'm very open about all of that so obviously we all like nice photos of ourselves so I'll post nice photos but I'll also do like Instagram stories when I'm just at home in my pajamas with no makeup on. Yeah. And like, I'll talk about my anxiety. And, okay. And at the moment in Magic Mike, I get loads of lovely comments from audience members, which is lovely, you know, saying like that they feel empowered by the show and stuff. Yeah. Which I love. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I will share those, but then I'll also share like, you know, I got a horrible email from someone saying that I was a fucking stupid bitch. But an audience member. Just, no, just... just someone who saw me at a gig once. Girl. So, you know, and, and I, and I, so I taught, I try to be, I try to not just share the amazing things. Yeah. So you will, and you'll be share quite open. Kind of yeah. And I say, right. oh God, I've got this email today. Like, yeah. it's ups and downs with this job, you know, and I, I do try and share, yeah, the ups and the downs and the, you know, one day, like on Sunday, I'm going to the Olivier, Olivier Awards. So, that will be Amazing. on my social media. But then yeah. equally, like, the day that I spent at home in my pyjamas with the dominoes and my cats, I also shared on social media. Actually, I look, relatable. I look disgusting. Mm. So I do try to be aware of all those things as well because I think social media can be very dangerous to people who think that everyone else is having an amazing time. Of course, yeah. And they're not. But I think we are getting better at the moment, especially about, about saying, yeah, people only put the good stuff on social media. Like, that's not everyone's lives. You don't have to lead the, well, like your favourite Instagram star or influencer looks like they're having an amazing time, but they might also be struggling with mental health issues or have something, you know, really difficult going on in their personal lives. So I think we are being more open about that. And yeah, I do try and talk about stuff like, you know, like when I cried on the train about my dad's death, like I tweeted about it because I think it's important to, especially like, you know, being in the public eye, if I, if I am (laughs) being a little bit in the public eye, I do feel a responsibility to not be a dick 
all the time. Uh, and, and also just to be like, you know, life's not super glamorous every minute. Like I do, I'm very lucky to have glamorous moments, but then, you know, yeah, I did work with Channing Tatum in LA and he does smell very nice. So that's great. But then also, yeah, I cry in my bedroom. Yeah. In my pyjamas. But that's what people... No makeup on and haven't changed the sheets in over a week, which Rich. I need to sort out. Yeah, you and me both. And I have a massive pile of washing that I haven't put on mm-hmm. and my house is covered in cat hair because I haven't hoovered, you know. Good stuff. Just life stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. But then that's... People can relate to that. <coughs> like you said, you're being honest, I guess. Do you feel... Do you ever get anxious if one of your posts doesn't get... Doesn't receive a lot of likes? Yes. Do you ever, I do, think do that's you, a natural you thing. You posts if they don't get a certain amount of likes. I used to do that, and yeah. then I was like, I've done that. no, right. I'm not going to do that yeah, anymore. Yeah, I've stopped doing it as well. It's funny because at the moment with my job, Magic Mike, like obviously if I post a picture from Magic Mike or of, of one of the guys, yeah, they tend to get a lot of likes because a lot of people who follow me have seen the show. And I posted a picture of me and Andrew Neil, who hosts This Week. Yeah. Um, which I went on, which is a politics show on BBC One. And I was really excited to go on the show because it's, you know, watched by a million people. And I was on with like Michael Portillo and Alan Johnson and and, uh, Andrew Neil. And I was doing jokes about Brexit and politics. And they had to be jokes like quite down the middle, like not um, politically opinion, too opinionated because of all the other things I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, I really enjoyed it and it was fun and it was nice to to meet Andrew and he was very, you know, um, nice to me in, in person. And I, I know he has some questionable opinions on social media, but, you know, we're all entitled to our opinions. So I posted a selfie of me and him. And so in comparison, my, like, magic... I don't have tons of followers on social media, but my magic mic posts will get, like, a few hundred likes. And I think this got like 30 likes. (laughs) With my social media hat on, it's interesting from that perspective because it shows what my audience are interested in. right. Which is maybe not politics. And I thought about deleting it and then I was like, no, do you know what? I was proud of that time, you know, in my life, that that TV appearance. And and it it was fun for me and it's a nice memory. So I'm going to keep it on there. And also I think it's, Sometimes people get so obsessed with like getting loads of followers. It's lovely when people obviously follow you on social media and they want to keep in touch with you. Yeah. But I don't want people to follow me because they think they're going to get topless photos of some of the dancers in Magic Mike. So, you know, like follow me for me and that will be everything that I do. Yeah. And then obviously you can unfollow or not like things if you don't like them. But yeah, I think it's, Sometimes it, you want to chase the likes. Yeah. So I know I know that if I post an abs photo, you're going to get those. It'll likes. get lots of likes, but then I don't. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't feel like. Sometimes I do it. You know, keep you know little nice picture for everyone to cheer up their day. Yeah. But also, I want to talk about like feminism and women supporting women and cool things I've done with amazing people. So yeah. I post about those as well. <laughs> And you, so you, you're, what I don't do anymore is like, I've got like the Facebook comedian page and then there's yeah. the, the personal page mm-hmm. and I just don't really post my work stuff on there anymore. I've got this weird thing in my head. It's like, I just don't want to 
I just don't want to do that. I don't know why. But you, 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 you have no issues in terms of just posting whatever, like your Instagram post on your personal Facebook page. So work-related stuff on your personal. Facebook. Yeah, I do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't post an Instagram picture on my work page on my personal on person. page. Okay. But um, yeah, I do share what I'm doing work. I don't share it as much as I would like on my Twitter and Instagram that are public yeah. on my personal Facebook. But I found that if I don't share stuff, then people will say to me, oh my God, why didn't you tell me you were doing that? And things right. like that. So oh, really? Yeah. So like if there is something like, you know, I was in Closer magazine this week and my auntie gets very excited when I'm in a yeah. magazine. So I knew that if she didn't know about that, she like next time I say it, she'd be like, why, why didn't you, you tell me, me I wanted yeah. to buy a copy? You know, so so I do post stuff like that on my personal thing, but I normally do more of a sort of silly comment with it than I would publicly. Yeah. All right, so you got your so you got you got Penguin in the room and have you got people like working with you on that or help you? Yeah, so I head up the company, but at the moment I don't really get involved with the day-to-day. Okay, so you've delegated that out to other people now. Yeah, so I have a team of people that work on Penguin in the Room. And And they're they're doing that full-time, or is it sort of on a freelance capacity? So they're all freelancers that also work in the arts. Yeah. But yeah, I have like a business manager who's on it every day and keeping track of everything. And just because I think I set up my own business sort of by accident in social media and then being a performer and all the other things I do I felt sometimes that I was kind of neglecting that business and I have a lot of clients you know who rely on us for their marketing and social media and I you know don't want to do a bad job for them so actually I think sometimes it's important to give yourself a pat on the back for the work that you've done Mm. and keep doing that but also realize where your strengths aren't so I'm a business person in comedy and acting, but I'm not a, I'm not someone who has run a business and knows the ins and outs of that. Yeah. So you're not turning by ROIs and KPIs. Yes, but so I've got someone on board who like knows much more about business than me and how to effectively and efficiently run a business. How did you find them? I think I put a call out on Facebook, like um, freelancer groups for people in the arts and. Tweeted it from the Penguin in the Room account, and I have other people who work for me who are like actors who do. So we manage social media accounts for a portfolio of clients. So mm. we tweet for them and Instagram for them and blog for them on a daily basis. So I have freelancers who do all that kind of day to day blogging and tweeting work, and so I kind of oversee it all. And I normally do the client facing stuff and the brand kind of coming up with a unique and consistent voice for a brand and then I pass it over to the the people who run it day to day so yeah some of them are actors one of them's writing a book one of them's a playwright as are you yes my children's book comes out segue in October and you congratulations you got got publishing due on this book yes yeah amazing you're doing so much people always say that to me you're making me think I'm not doing enough in a good way. No, no but you don't are. Think what, that. what is great is that you have like such a diverse, you, you, like your creative life is so diverse. It's because you're doing the broadcasting, you're writing a book, poetry, stand up, and acting. But do you find that some of those in some areas are more busy at some times than others? And, and like other times, I don't know, one of those areas you're just sort of not, you're not that focused on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like at, at the moment, because I've been writing books, I've been doing much less journalism, which I did a lot for. Is that how you got into writing? I think really being in the sketch group got me into writing. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've obviously always written and with my marketing company, I've written press releases and things like that as yeah. part of the job. So doing all of that sort of got me into journalism a little bit. But, you know, when journalism is, again, as a freelance career, it's so hard. Like I really respect freelance journalists because you're constantly churning out new ideas you know it's like stand-up you have to come up with an idea and then you have to write it up and pitch it to an editor and then they have to say yes to it and then you have to write it and send it in you know it it's it's a hard job so I have I have dabbled in that but that I guess that's never an area where I've super like pushed things yeah but I like to do lots of different things because I feel like it makes me more creative in in all areas sure because they all feed into each other. And I feel that I'm working like different creative muscles. Yeah. So I do like to do lots. So because there's two schools of thought, I guess, in there. Like you have some people who they will focus and specialise in one area. And, you know, there's an argument to be said that is actually a great way of doing things because then you become you become an expert in that thing and mm. then you can progress really quickly. As opposed to, I guess, you and I are similar in terms of us. We have, we have lots of different things that we like to do and we jump around. So you might not become like a specialist or you might, but it might take a little bit longer because Mm. your attention is sort of diverted across all these different areas or projects. (coughs) Well, I don't know if it'll take longer. Like my stand-up career happened quite quickly. Okay. To get to the level I I was at. Yeah. um, You know, relative to the industry. And I think that's because I was doing other things. So I had more to talk about. And I had, I mean, as we know, this industry is a lot about who you know in that you go and do a filming job over there and then you meet that person on the filming job who also actually runs a comedy gig and they want you to come and get you to do their comedy gig. So, you know, I I do think it all feeds into each other. I I would say the thing that I do is I want to entertain people. Yeah. So whether that is through acting or stand-up or on the radio or writing or, you know, journalism or writing a book, for me, it's still all one career because it's all the same end goal. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, so people seem to have a lot of difficulty with me in the fact that they don't know what I do. Who are you, sir? Yeah, what, they're always like, yeah, but which is like your main thing? And yeah. I'm like, well, they all are because... Yeah entertainment is my main thing sure yeah and then these are all just little aspects of it so how do you structure say a normal day where you've got the day in front of you let's say you don't have any auditions or whatever but you've got all these different projects that you're working on you know that you are responsible for you're creating whether it's an article whether it's a book etc do you have like a, a structured routine where you go right from this hour to this hour no. doing this? So how do you do? How do so you? So you're gonna around? you're gonna hate this. Go on. So the more I've learned throughout my life is that if I have a concrete plan, in terms it's of an not end goal, as effective. In terms of an end goal, or in terms. Oh, of I like, have end goals. You have the end but goals, but like if I'm like I want to be an actor full time, I'm just gonna do acting. Yeah, that never works out for me. Okay. So I think you have to just go with what works for you and what works for me is going with the flow like actually so that's how I became a comedian because I went with the flow that's how I started doing radio so for me I just prioritize 
I have a lot of things to do in all my different veins of things that I yeah. do. And I just prioritise. So, like... Do you find prioritising easy? Because I find it really hard. As in, do you say, all right, these are the top tasks. I've got to get these done first and then I move on to this. Or is it not as black and white as that? I find it easy to prioritise because I, I say yes to a lot of things and I set myself a lot of goals. So, like, I knew that I wanted to finish my children's book okay. by a certain date. So will you always give yourself like a timeline yeah. just wanting to get finished by? Yeah. So, because otherwise with your own work, it's never a top of the priority list because if someone else wants something, yes, then that's got a set like end date that it needs to be done by. Yeah. So I always set myself end dates as well so that my priority list includes my own work. Which is why, like, you know, doing an Edinburgh show, for example, is quite good because you know you've got the brochure entry date that you have to do yeah. the description and everything by. And then you know you've got a pre... I always used to book a preview in really early. So I knew that I had to have something yeah. by then. And, you know, yeah, the same with my book. And obviously now I'm working with my literary agent and a publisher. They set me deadlines as well. So they're like, we want it edited by this day. I really... Honestly, I know it sounds crap. I just take it day by day. So, like, I woke up this morning. I had loads of emails. What time do you wake up most days? Oh, like 11. Do you? Yeah. But is that because you do magic mic? Yeah, so I don't get so so to home. bed at two. I go to bed at two. Okay. I get home right. at, like, half one. But when you're in a normal routine... I would still wake up late. I go you? to bed late and wake up late. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, so I wake up at, like, half ten, eleven, get on my phone go through my emails, reply to any super urgent ones, check in with social media, okay. and then get up and do whatever I have to do for that day. And then throughout the day, I'll, I'll sort of check back in to like my emails and anything that I need to chase or action or... Or if like I know I had my book deadline, I'd be like, I have to write 10,000 words today or whatever. And will you write or will you work from home mostly? Um, I work wherever I am. Okay. So if I can be at home, I'll work at home. Yeah. But if I'm out in town, I'll go to a cafe and work. And yeah. I dip in and out all day. And by all day, I mean from when I wake up to when I go to sleep. So I don't stop at like 5pm. Okay. I'll be sending emails at one o'clock in the morning on the way home. That's that's the whole life of creative, isn't it? Or yeah. freelancers. It's like, it's never ending. But that's why there's no structure as well, because, you know, sometimes something happens in the middle. You know, like I was invited to the Olivia Awards really last minute. Yeah. Because a, a producer couldn't go. So then that became a priority of like, you know, just like organisational stuff. Sure. What am I going to wear, which is a massive priority. Um, what have you gone for? Uh, I'm wearing a needle and thread dress a Wilbur and Gussie bag, Yol shoes, and two Lally earrings. I'm going to pretend I know what uh, all of those things are. <laughs> so and say you've they're made all brands choices. that I work with, I have worked with, or have, you know, or I like, or I kind of collaborated with on okay. social media oh, great. and stuff. So, great. Because also I think, you know, obviously that's great when you get a little bit in the public eye. You can people care what you wear and stuff yeah and I love celebrating kind of especially female-led brands and also like smaller brands based in the UK and you know people kind of try and start up their businesses or 
or also just brands that have like a nice ethic. Will you reach out to those brands yeah. to form a relationship? You will? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And not, you know, like if I buy something, like I'm really into Monkey at the moment, okay. which I've not collaborated with at all, but I just like their clothes and they're like made in a sustainable way and okay. I like that. And so, you know, if I, if I ever wear their tops, I always tag them in because I think they're a good brand to promote. Right. And I got in touch with another brand called Shop Kind Do. They got in touch with me, actually. And they they sell, like, female empowering slogan T-shirts. And Are they part of Drink Shop Do? The, you know the venue no. on Caledonian Road? No. Kind Shop. Oh, okay. She's based in America. Oh, okay. But um, a percentage of all their profits goes to um, empowering women in projects all over the world. Great. So, yeah, I love kind of the ethos behind their brand, which is why so you, you, kind of... you reach out to them and say, I'm, I'm Shop Kind or... Studio, that's what it is. Okay. Shop Kind Studio. Well, they got in touch with me and they just said, you know, we th- um, I think I there's think some synergy here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I asked them to tell me about some of the projects that their clothes support. Um, okay. And I really like the sound of it. So then they, you know, sent me some t-shirts and I wore them to some events lovely yeah I need to just start doing that I think yeah. I've got my eyes on some Nike flip flops <laughs> do you like the brand ethos of Nike what, just doing it yeah um, I mean I'm on board with the just do it slogan I've read have you read his book Shoe Dog from the I say him I'm looking at it now Phil Knight the founder of Nike is really it's actually quite an inspiring read oh no I know some of their their manufacturing approaches and techniques are questionable, as in, you know, slave labour and all that in Indonesia, etc. But that aside, it was a, it's a really interesting story, how he sort of, just like, you know, kid out of college and then just created this, <laughs> created Nike, basically. Mm. But really unassuming guy, not sort of a big personality or ego or anything like that. I love reading those stories. I love them. Um, now he has to just not exploit workers. Yes. And he'll be great. Yeah, but you can carry on making comfortable flip-flops. Mm. And they I don't are actually really know, do Nike exploit their workers? I don't know. There's, I mean, there's been talk of it in the past. But, I mean, everyone who I've who've had, I've had these conversations with, and they might bring it up and say, you know, that they've got questionable practices. Nine times out of ten, they're always wearing Nike. So, I'm not wearing Nike. No, you're not. You're not. I, I'm a big Nike head. Um, I... Um, Wanted to ask you, yeah, with all these things that you're doing, you're like crazy busy. Do you find time outside of your creative life just to just to be, just to be Sam, and just to have fun? Well, I'm Sam all the time. But you know, I mean, like, because it's non-stop. Yeah, live like you know the, well, that norm, that normal existence of just doing stuff that aren't that isn't related to to work. Sometimes it is hard to find time. And sometimes I literally have to schedule it in. Yeah. So I have to, you know, say to my friends, like, let's just go for lunch. And I'll, like, block it out of my calendar and then I'll not, you know, book anything in and not look at my emails. And Yeah. Yeah. I see you're good like that. You were just... You... Well, I'm good and bad at stages. Yeah. Like, at the moment, I feel like I haven't seen... I mean, I've just had my birthday, so I saw my friends on my birthday, but, like, yeah, I've, at the moment... I go through stages of like only seeing work people. Yeah. And then I'm like, 
I just need to hang out with like some mates yeah. and just chat about rubbish. Yeah. Not that we always chat about rubbish, but you know, like I mean, not that, yeah. work related things for a while. And then I'll go on a spree of like booking in all these like coffee dates and lunches with my friends and yeah. nights out. But I think it, yeah, I think it's really important to do that. And I I always try and obviously at the moment I'm working six days a week, but I always try and book in like a day when I'm at home yeah. where I do some emails in the morning and then I just like watch Netflix or something Right, I need to do all that. afternoon. Do you? All afternoon? Yeah. I'm terrible at just doing that. Just relax. I can't relax. I don't know how to. I've got to try and figure it out. Oh, sometimes, because if I, I know that if I don't have a, a day of just doing nothing yeah. and like reading or like having a bath and watching, I, I mean, I love watching film and TV. So to me, that is really relaxing. I know if I don't have one of those days, I go a bit mad. Yeah. So I guess that kind of neatly wraps up in sense of, uh, my what, final we're question to you, we are, we, we're going to watch a film straight after this. <laughs> I've actually got your special stand-up special lined up. Um, Great. Do you have a stand-up special? No. No, okay. Well, let's just pretend you do. Um, in terms of like balance, the idea of balance and what that means to you, is that something you sort of be like, no, don't believe it, or actually the idea of having some sense of balance in your life between your work, creative life, and everything outside that is important to have some kind of equilibrium in order for Sam to do what she does and be happy and content person. I don't know. I think, I feel like I want to say that balance is, is really important because it sounds like a good thing, but in practically, I think I'm really happy when I work loads. Yeah. When you're in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the word balance suggest you know when you say balance i see weighing scales that are equally weighed down yeah for me that wouldn't work if i had as much time off as i have as much time on working i don't think i'd be happy i think i'd be bored yeah so i have a balance but it's skewed to me which is work heavy because i love what, you love I what do. you do that's the key isn't it if you love what you do then it's not considered yeah. work so much and I have loads of friends in work, so I guess I combine that sort of, like, hanging out and working as well as the same time. So I think it's really important not to just do one or the other. So I have some sort of balance, but it's not equal. Okay. Thank you for having this wonderful conversation. Where can Thank people you. find you on the old social media? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Samantha Baines. I also have a website, samanthabaines.com. And I'm on Facebook, Samantha Baines. B-A-I-N-E-S. And children's book, has it got a title? Children's book is called Harriet. Okay. Exclamation mark. It's for um, children eight and over. It's out on the 3rd of October. It'll be available on Amazon and in hopefully all good bookshops and it's about a little girl with a hearing aid like me and her hearing aid translates alien languages and she love it defeats aliens in space with her gran amazing and i also have a podcast called periods amazing women in history about wonderful women and non-binary people of the past all of that's on your website yeah there you go all right thank you very much thanks perfect
So there we go. Samantha Baines, ladies and gentlemen. Ain't she lovely? I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Lots to take away from that. Sam is one talented and busy lady. If you enjoyed that conversation, please like us, rate us, review us. I think us is me. It's me. It's It's just you and me, Steve Whiteley here, doing it all in his lonesome, which should give you even more impetus to do this because I'm slogging it out here for you guys, trying to get these conversations out to you. Yes, and if you haven't done already, do please subscribe, spread the word. Let's get balancing acts out there. All right, all right, all right. Thank you very much for listening. Until the next one, adieu. Cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.